Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur with your host, Steve Kidd, third-generation minister and 30-year business coach. Listen in as amazing, world-changing authors, speakers, and coaches share their struggles and victories, and hear from best-selling authors' insight into how you, too, can live your life as a thriving entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur. I'm so grateful for you being here with us today. It is because of you that I do this show, because of all of the diversity out there, all of the different people that need things. I love reaching out to you, the entrepreneur, the person who is thriving in that space that they are intended to get it done. Um, you know, we've talked on the show many, many times, and, um, you know, I kind of stretch the definition, if you will, of entrepreneur, because for me, I don't know that necessarily to be a thriving entrepreneur, you have to be self-employed. Sometimes it is just simply about working in a job um, that you have a sense of ownership for possibly even that you have the opportunity to have some real ownership in. Um, you know, sometimes we work in partnership kind of things. Um, law offices are a great example of that. And in fact, our, our, our guests today are both lawyers. Um, you know, and they work in an office, but they're also partners in the firm. Um, you know, there are a lot of different ways to be a thriving entrepreneur. You know, some people, they work a full-time corporate job and that's all they wanna do, but they're making the difference that only they can make in the world. And that's really ultimately, um, you know, what I wanna talk to people about is how each of us in our place can make the difference in the world that only we can make. There are so many opportunities to pass the buck. You know what I'm saying? To be like, uh, well, but that's not my responsibility. I know we've all done it. I've done it. I'm guilty. Two hands up. But I love it when a person takes on to themselves responsibility. They say, hey, that isn't for the next guy. That is something that I can do, that I can take care of, and that in doing it, I can make the world a better place. And then when we do what only we can do, we find ourselves truly thriving. It's only really truly in that service, in that bringing our gifts to the world, that we really truly thrive in life, in business, um, in whatever space that's at. You know, I was at a restaurant the other day, you know, fast food place, um, and it was amazing to me, the young man that was behind the counter. Uh, I don't know specifically because it was like a, you know, minute or two exchange, but the impression that I got um, was that he probably suffers, well, and suffers the wrong word. He has in his life a thing that we would call a disability, a learning disability. Um, and more than likely, when he was in school, he appeared to be about 20 years old. Uh, more than likely, when he was in school, he probably had an individual learning program designed specifically for him. Um, but I was so amazed by this young man. He not only had he did he do his job right, which for those of us, let's be let's be honest for just a minute. Often when we go into whether it be a retail store or a fast food restaurant or those kind of things, it's very easy to get frustrated with the person behind the counter because their effort is less than. Did, did I did I say that in a nice way? But this young man was, from the very first moment, uh, 
cordial, happy, excited. The excitement that he felt for being there was palpable. I could tell that he was just thrilled to be doing what he was doing. Um, and again, like I said, I don't know what kind of challenges he had in life. It appeared as though we may have some, but none of that showed up at work. It's so easy for us to have sexy excuses as to why we can't do things. But here was this young man, a perfect example of thriving. And I believe thriving as an entrepreneur. I believe that he was one of the biggest assets that that particular company that he works for will ever have in it, and that their business is better because of him being there. Now, why do I bring that up? Um, it's a little bit off topic for what um, our specific theme is for today, but it's right in the center of what the show is always about, and that's about being the best version of who you are. Often we fall into the trap of wanting to be like so-and-so. And it's good to have people that we emulate, that we try to get to be at their level. But it's also important for us always to remember to be the best version of ourselves. That brings me to the core of what we're going to be talking about this whole entire episode. This was such a fun interview. I've been looking forward to bringing this one to you for several weeks now. Um, you know, it's just really, really awesome when, um, you know, I get to have a conversation with somebody who literally I had never met before we got on Zoom together. And by the end of it, I really felt a closeness to them. Turns out, actually, after the call, I found out that one of my very close friends actually works for the same law firm that the lady that is one of the two people that are I'm interviewing today works for, and that they're old friends, that they've known each other for, uh, according to Jerry, about 20 years or so. Uh, that is so cool. Um, it, it reminds me how small the world is. And what we want to talk about today is something that handled properly will change the world. I'm talking about empowerment. Um, specifically, the author that I'm bringing to you, the authors that I'm bringing to you today, um, their book is about female empowerment, something that I am a strong proponent of and something that I know is really, really needed in most all workplaces. Um, you know, I happen to be fortunate. I'm, I feel so lucky because um, most of the people that we work with are, um, our avatar in fact is, uh, is females. And so I feel so fortunate to have done writing sessions with some of the most amazing women. And I just love bringing their message to the world. And I don't say that in any way from the fact that, uh, you know, we helped them, that I'm empowering them. But I know from talking to them some insights that I've seen into disempowerment that's happened in the workplace to a lot of people because of their race, because especially of their gender. And empowerment is something that is so important. See, when you feel empowered, when you feel like your voice matters, when you feel like your life matters, when you feel like you're making a difference, you contribute in a way that when you feel unheard, you won't. Let's be honest. There are people right now that are listening. And maybe you're even listening from work. And you haven't spoke up because you have gotten strongly the message that your voice doesn't matter. You feel unempowered in the position that you're in because of a multitude of different things. But the one that really we want to focus on today and just really sticks in my craw, my craw, like I have a craw, I am a bird, um, you know, really sticks in my craw is when 
person is passed over. I was watching TV the other day and I saw this commercial where, you know, they're announcing who the new VP of marketing or whatever it was is. And, um, you know, the, the ladies standing there all expecting and ready and, and then they say a guy's name. And I love my TV so I don't throw things at it, but I wanted to. You know what I mean? Um, and I love the fact that they turned that and they said, I'm not going to take this anymore and starting their own business and things like that. And I love how much the coaching industry is, in a lot of respects, predominantly women. I love that. I think it was Deepak Chopra that said that it's women that are going to revolutionize, change the world. Um, and I believe that's true. It makes me just furious when I hear that somebody got passed over for something, especially when you're talking about because she's a girl. I think that there is nothing that a woman can't do. And I'll tell you, that starts off with having a very strong, well-educated mother of my own. My mom went back to school. You know, she had all three of us boys and was a great mom. And then when I finally got to the point where I started high school, um, what she had always wanted to do was, you know, get her degree and um, had kind of stepped away from that to support both my dad's career as well as raising us boys and so when I started high school my mom started into and actually I, I apologize I was actually junior high when she started into that um, she went straight through six years um, you know undergraduate and graduate level got her master's degree in uh, in counseling and graduated actually with her master's degree the same year that I graduated high school. So yeah, it was when I started seventh grade, she started into college. Um, and we were study buddies early on. I mean, she very quickly got into stuff that was beyond me, but um, it was fun when she was doing those introductory math things to help her with it and stuff like that. And I say that because from that strong, powerful mother that I had, I was blessed with a sense of an empowered, strong female whose voice mattered and who was worth it, worthy, worthwhile, um, you know, was the person that you want to choose for the job. And so, of course, when I see anything less than that happening, I find myself infuriated. I have to admit it. Um, it just, it makes no sense to me from my frame of reference. Now, keep in mind, I've been self-employed literally my whole life. So I've never played really the corporate politics. I worked as a consultant for a corporation for a little less than a year. Drove me crazy. Um, I wasn't good in board meetings. I wasn't good at having meetings to plan the meeting we were going to have. Just was not my thing. And I was really glad to be back out and on my own. Um, for some of you, that that's really your thing. And I, I'm not saying it in a negative way. I'm just saying that... It didn't work for me. But I do not understand the concept of not choosing someone for any reason other than that they're not the very best candidate. And in order to do that, we need to empower people. Again, this particular episode, we're going to talk about empowering women so that they can be the absolute most that they can be. Because every single person deserves to rise to the level that does two things. One is their highest, best use of themselves. And two, like that young man in the store, makes them just feel joyful for every minute of every day that they get to go to work to show up and to be that person that only they can be. That's what I want for you. Whether you start your own company or you work for your whole life at one business, 
the only thing I want to see is for you to thrive, to rise to a level so high that you always feel like you're living as a thriving entrepreneur, that each day is a blessing, is a miracle gift from God, that you get to live the life that you get to live. That's what I want for you. To me, that's what it means to live as a thriving entrepreneur. I hope that's the life you're living. And if not, I'm hoping some of the discussion we have today about empowerment will help you and help bring some ideas how you can live as a thriving entrepreneur. We're going to take our first commercial break, and then we'll be right back to jump into this great discussion. You've heard Kathy and I talk about it. You've seen the workshops. You have watched as others of your friends have become a best-selling author. And now it's your turn. Let me ask you this. What would being a best-selling author do for your business? Over 80% of people surveyed said that they want to write a book, which means that if you're listening, you probably are one of those people. Now is your time because you have a message that needs to be shared. That message is not for you. It's not for your ego. It is because it serves other people. Kathy and I are here to help you share your unique brilliance with the world. All you need to do is go to WeHelp youthrive.com check us out and find out how you can be a best-selling author today welcome back to thriving entrepreneur this is steve welcome back thanks for listening to thriving entrepreneur today as we talk about empowerment this was such a fun conversation and i'm so excited to get to share these two guests with you as we really jump into it I hope that you have your fingers ready to type comments and send them to us. I want to hear, I want to have a whole discussion around this and really be able to help all of us feel empowered as we specifically focus in on empowering women in the marketplace. Empowering women in the workplace such a powerful and needed topic. But, um, you know, since I'm not a woman, I'm not going to say that I'm the expert in it, but I do have the experts with me. Andy Kramer and Al Harris, advocates for women in the workplace. They're both inspiring authors as well as accomplished attorneys. Hi, Andy and Al. How are you guys today? We're terrific. Very nice to be here with you today. Absolutely. So just, uh, you know, give us, each of you, give us a little bit of your background and tell us a little bit about who you are. Well, uh, this is Andy, and um, I've been, uh, my whole professional career as a lawyer, and what I found was that um, when I served on my law firm's management committee and compensation committee, I saw that women were would um, refer to their accomplishments differently from the way that the men would. The men would talk about how great they were and how terrific and how much money they deserved. And the women would talk about the teams that they were on, which is fine, except that the problem is that the men would make a hell of a lot more money than the women. Uh, And so I started writing and speaking about women Um, overcoming gender bias. And one of the uh, outgrowths of that are the two books that Al and I have written together. My story is a little different than Andy's, at least as my path towards uh, advocating for women's advancement. Uh, When I was a relatively young lawyer, uh, I was an equity partner at a fairly major firm, and we had a client conflict. Uh, and that client asked me to uh, leave my firm and uh, continue to represent the client. And I looked around and decided I wasn't going to go to another 
major law firm, but if they were willing to support me, I'd be prepared to start a law firm. And so together with three other guys, we did. We started a law firm and we were convinced that we were going to build a different kind of a law firm, a law firm where we were absolutely without uh, a prejudice, a bias, a discriminatory instinct of any sort. Everyone was going to flourish at our law firm. And lo and behold, uh, a great many years later, I looked around and I said, you know, we haven't done any better than these great big established firms. We don't have any more women in our leadership ranks than they do. What's wrong? And it was that point that I began to really focus on the implicit biases, the unconscious uh, expectations and instincts that lead men to favor men over women. And I've been working on this issue ever since. So, um, and either of you can take this, but I, I'm, I'm betting that Andy has a real uh, strong opinion on this. Um, the first question that comes to my mind is absolutely uh, the statement that I've heard said so many times, and that's that women would rule the world if it wasn't for the fact that they don't get along with other women. <laughs> Well, that's um, another stereotype, and in fact, that's what prompted the our second book, It's Not You, It's the Workplace, Women's Conflict at Work and the Bias that Built It. When we wrote our first book, Breaking Through Bias, um, women would come up to us, and if we're, when we were speaking about it, would come up to us and say things like, I get along just fine with the guys, but I just can't work with those women. And I'd never had that experience. And so Al and I thought we would try to take that apart. And we did an enormous amount of research and uh, interviewed hundreds of uh, women and men and did, um, uh, took the social science research apart as well. And what we found is that that's really just another uh, stereotype about women, that women don't have more conflicts with other women than men have with other men. Um, there's no evidence to indicate that women are tougher on harder than um, on women than men are on men. And so what we found was that it's because of the workplace situations, the bias that the workplaces uh, have that puts women in situations where they can be um, uh, competing for the girl spot or uh, for um, uh, position of power and that it's the workplaces and not women so that it uh, saying that women don't get along with other women is really trying to blame the victim. Okay that makes sense I'll buy that. So um, you, you know what would be a perfect world? Would it be a company that has you know 50% women 50% men or what really you know what really would be the goal well, I think it's a mistake to think about the goal in terms of quotas or equal numbers. I think it's much better to think about the goal being uh, to design practices and procedures in the workplace that assure that the evaluation processes, the assignment processes, the promotion processes, the compensation processes, are fair, that there is no bias that creeps into them, that there's no implicit uh, discrimination that is allowed to work. If we could build workplaces that were true meritocracies, not places that proclaim that they're meritocracies, which virtually every place does and no place is, uh, if we could truly have workplaces that were fair. I think that's the goal. Okay, I, I get that. Um, and I'm, I'm just trying to get to speed with you because I, I agree with everything you guys are saying, but I do run into a hurdle um, with the way that you express that, Al, what if the truly deserving in 
you know, in a really truly merit-based thing. What if the truly deserving people are, and it doesn't really matter gender, are all men, are all women, um, does that then create a different dynamic or would that in the real world actually work? Well, that hypothetical, I think, is unlikely, at least in large organizations, because uh, the research, and we've got a lot of it in this second book, is that men and women are not fundamentally different. They're not fundamentally different in terms of their attitudes, feelings, expectations, and they're not fundamentally different in terms of their ambitions, their desires for success. Or competency. Or their competence. So I, I'm prepared to uh, argue for fair workplaces and let the chips fall where they may, because I'm convinced that the random distribution of talent among the genders is such that if that's the case, we're going to end up with workplaces that are relatively closely balanced. And, and, and Steve, just to sort of underline that point, the, uh, Al had also prefaced his comment with the fact that um, most, if not all workplaces, say that they are meritocracies, but none of them really are. And what he meant by that is the fact that because the processes that organizations have allow for the decision makers bias to creep in to say well he's a he's a he's a go-getter but she's really obnoxious or you know he this or she's that when the exact same behaviors are seen through gendered um, lenses basically that that's where companies and organizations say that they're meritocracies, that they are completely fair, that they do give everybody a fair shake, but in reality, they don't. And so, um, sure, if it turned out that it was all men or all women or all, all purple polka dotted people that um, uh, rise to the top in an organization, well, so be it. It's just that it's not likely statistically and it's and it's not likely because um, we don't have organizations that are that have stripped out the bias in their um, evaluations and um, processes I, I would so love for it to be that way rather than there to be a you know you got to hire so many of these you, you know and it's forced upon you Right, if right, right. true statistics, you know, because I mean, and I don't have the statistics right in front of me, but you know, like 51% of the population is female, you know, not quite, but almost. And, you know, so, and, uh, you know, what is it? 13% is African American, 18 ish is, you know, and it's going to change, you know, like when you live in Southern California, right. those numbers are different than when you live in South Dakota, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, to have a workplace that just really, looked like walking down the street. I know you guys said you live in Chicago. So, you know, I mean, you walk down the street, you're going to walk by men, women, people of different nationalities, people of different races, creeds, colors, beliefs. Wouldn't it be amazing if you could just go to your work and it looked exactly like it was walking down a random street in whatever city you live in? Yes, that would in fact be terrific. Now, we're talking about, I was talking about fairness in the workplace. You've got to keep in mind that the workplace is fed by lots of different pipelines. And when those pipelines are not equal in size or equal in straightness, uh, then it's going to skew the talent pool that's made available. It's easier for us to talk about men and women because by and large, men and women, at least white men and women, are receiving comparable educations. They are coming from comparable socioeconomic backgrounds. And so we can think about and contemplate the process of gender equality in fair workplaces. But the world changes a great deal when we're talking about African-Americans or Hispanics or even Asians. 
uh, and it changes still more when we talk about LGBT people, so that we've got lots of societal biases and patterns of prejudice and discrimination that skew the pipelines that are going into our organization, which is gonna make it very difficult for us to get workplaces that look like walking down a Chicago street. Uh, but that isn't to say we shouldn't be working towards that as a goal, but we've focused on gender, maybe out of uh, just the fact that we think that that problem is going to be a lot easier to solve than the racial problem or the ethnic problem. Well, and it's a long way between here and there. Um, I just, I want for my kids, you know, who are all married and grown now to actually live in the world that they express to me that they believe they live in, and which would be that, you know. Right, and, uh, right. But with that said, now I'm going to open up a can of worms. <laughs> Let's okay. get a little bit of conflict in here. I mean, I don't think necessarily the three of us will have a conflict, but it'll definitely raise some eyebrows listening. There are some physiological and reality differences between men and women. There just are, you know, regardless of their gender preference, um, there are some differences. For example, um, women actually give birth to babies. Um, and although a man can be extremely involved in the process of raising the child, that nine months of pregnancy and delivery, let's be honest, guys, it's really easy on us. You know, the worst you got to do is make a midnight run for whatever that thing is, right? <laughs> um, so I, but there's this big rumbling of, you know, guys should get paternity leave and those kind of things. I mean, I think that there just needs to be some stuff that's just like, hey, there are some differences and that's okay. That doesn't have to necessarily make an inequality in how we hire people, but it does end up meaning that we need to have things that are different to some extent for people. So well, how bad was that can of worms? <laughs> okay, well, that, 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 that can be a big can of worms, but, but, but not as big as it might seem. Uh, sure, there's there's definite biological differences between women and men. There's there's hormonal differences. There's all sorts of physical differences. But the but the studies show the research shows that when it comes to the workplace, women and men want the same things when they start their careers, and it's only two, three, four years into a career that the man is still as ambitious as he was before and the woman's not. And she's not as ambitious, not because she's thinking about having her family or wanting to um, stay at home and eat bonbons. It's because the workplace beats her down and makes her feel unwelcomed. And so if we could eliminate those sorts of problems, a lot of the other issues um, uh, become less relevant. With respect to paternity leave and maternity leave, clearly the United States is far behind every other um, uh, industrialized country in the world, basically. Uh, we're like the only ones that don't have um, uh, mandatory maternity leave, paid, paid maternity leave. And one of the things that the studies show as well, Steve, is that in reality, if you make maternity and paternity leave available, if you make leave flexible schedules available to men and to women, that that's ultimately going to result in a better workforce of men and women. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, for me, I think the problem is, is that moms have always gotten a bad rap and no guy really understands or probably pays attention to is a better word, how much moms do. Um, and I think most moms that I know could exceed the abilities of most guys at work and still be a great mom at home. That's just my personal experience. Well, well you hit on something that there's no question, but that uh, mothers, uh, who are also working do far more childcare and domestic tasks 
than fathers who are working. Uh, and that gendered division of labor in the homes is a primary reason that career success is often so much more difficult for women than it is for men. Uh, that isn't to say that moms are better at parenting than men, but we've got a society in which we have a expectation that moms ought to be the primary childcare person, that mom's care is indispensable, that it is unique and can't be replaced by someone else's. The studies show as well, though, that if a man is put in the role of being the primary uh, caregiver for his children, he behaves exactly the same way that the mothers do. And so it's really another issue about stereotypes and biases. A man who stays home with his children, well, he's Mr. Mom, or he's some sort of pejorative con uh, connotation. And so, you know, it, it, it makes it harder for men to, to feel comfortable in filling that role when they would be the better suited. Well, and because we just met, you guys don't don't know my backstory, but I was actually a single parent, single dad uh, of five kids, ranging what? between three and fourteen when I started. Wow, um, you know, for almost five years. So um, I do know how much dads can get it done, but uh, but um, you know that that doesn't stop me from acknowledging how amazing moms sure. are. <laughs> sure, I, I understand that told you it was a great conversation. I, I know you're enjoying it. We're going to take just a quick commercial break and then we'll be right back here on Thriving Entrepreneur. You've heard Kathy and I talk about it. You've seen the workshops. You have watched as others of your friends have become a best-selling author. And now it's your turn. Let me ask you this. What would being a best-selling author do for your business? Over 80% of people surveyed said that they want to write a book, which means that if you're listening, you probably are one of those people. Now is your time because you have a message that needs to be shared. That message is not for you. It's not for your ego. It is because it serves other people. Kathy and I are here to help you share your unique brilliance with the world. All you need to do is go to wehelpyouthrive.com, check us out, and find out how you can be a best-selling author today. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur. Let's jump right back into our conversation. Okay, so, um, you know, how do we move? Because we're not going to get this overnight. <laughs> I wish we could, but let's be honest. It's not right. going to happen overnight. Yeah, well, it hasn't do, in 50 years. Yeah. How do we move the needle just a little bit in the right direction? What's, what's a good first step? Well, one of the things that we do is we really look at, it's three trains leaving the station. It's what women can do today in gender biased workplaces to advance in our careers. What can we do in the context of communicating, um, interacting with each other, whether it's interacting with men or women or, or colleagues or customers or clients or whatever. Um, that's one train that's leaving the station. That's something we could do today. The other trains that are leaving the station is men need to be part of the conversation. And so having this discussion with you is very important for you and your listeners because they may not have thought about these issues this way before. And so information becomes powerful. And that's the second train leaving the station. And then the third one is what organizations need to do to take the bias out of their processes so that it actually does give women and men an equal shake at succeeding in the careers that they desire. And for that third one, uh, in, our, in our book, It's Not You, It's the Workplace, we have a chapter devoted to seven steps that organizations can do to take bias out of their workplaces. 
So each of the individual people that are listening right now, they have to do what they can do. Um, the first group that I'd like to talk to, and it's my own fault because I brought up the gender bias <laughs> of women not liking women, but what are some things that women can do to the word you use here in the notes is sisterhood. What can they do to create a sisterhood of equality in their workplace? Well, uh, the first thing they can do is to drop the notion that they can only be sisters with their best friends. Uh, sisterhood, the way we talk about it, isn't about friendship or sharing intimate secrets. It's about sharing goals and being mutually supportive. And women, in order to do that, need to find ways that they can organize themselves into, they can be largely informal, but they have to be structured groups. They have to be ways that women can systematically get together to talk about their shared problems, to talk about shared solutions, to talk about and act on ways that they can push each other forward. So building a sisterhood requires a good deal of thought and effort, but it doesn't require intimate conversations. Or best friendships. Or best friendships. It requires uh, a recognition of mutual goals and the fact that women are stronger together than they are separately. Okay, so we're now, gosh, is it almost a year and a half, two years away from the initial starting of the Me Too movement. Um, and when it first started out, there were some really great things happening and it kind of became the, the really Me Too movement as opposed to pointing out an issue. I hate to say it that way, but I don't know how else to say it. You know, it, was, it became a bandwagon that everybody was jumping on. And I don't want us to miss out on the importance of the message of how bad things are. Um, but what can we do so that it doesn't just become more noise? Because, you know, I feel like now we've gotten to a place where the Me Too movement has just become something that people have kind of become numb to or aren't listening to anymore. And then when the real important messages come out, they don't hear them because there's been so much. Well, uh, yes and no. Um, yes, in the sense that it's been overwhelming. Uh, no, in the sense that this was an issue that people didn't feel comfortable talking about. And women who would bring it up would be punished um, uh, in, in the workplace. And so what we are starting to see is we're starting to see changes in state legislation about what, um, uh, what, how to define harassment and how to define things like that. But to not get into the um, you know, pluses and minuses of the, the, the Me Too movement directly, one of the things that Al and I found, and we wrote an article in the Harvard Business Review, about this, which is that um, organizations that tolerate gender bias are more likely to have harassment, and organizations that tolerate uh, incivility among their employees and workers are more likely to have harassment. That it's really a spectrum of behaviors. And so without getting into has the, you know, has the bandwagon, you know, got lost a wheel or you know, whatever. I think that the, the, we are seeing some very positive changes from this, but we're also seeing some negative uh, pushback and blowback so that what we are seeing is men who are needed, um, that train of men leaving the station to help with gender bias. It's getting harder to get men to get on that train because um, the movement is frightening some of them. Hmm. That's interesting. One of the things that I think the Me Too movement uh, has to recognize and is beginning to recognize is that it's got to 
broaden its message from that there are bad actors out there and we're going to bring them down, we're going to expose the harassers, to we need to correct the workplaces in basic ways to eliminate the kinds of conditions that allow harassment to flourish. To flourish. And that emphasis on the processes and practices of our workplaces is in fact where we think that the future of diversity really is uh, going to be found. Uh, it isn't going to be found by just exposing the Harvey Weinsteins of the world. It's going to be uh, opened up by changing the cultures within which women and men are operating. And, and one, one other point about that, um, uh, that it, the point that Al just made is that in reality, in most, in, in obviously not all, but in many situations, um, uh, sexual harassment has got nothing to do about sexual attraction. It's all about power. And because of the power imbalance between women and men in the workplace, that's one of the places where sexual harassment runs the most rampant. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So the book, I love the title, It's Not You, It's the Workplace. I think that's a very empowering message for women. Um, what is something that a lady who is listening to this interview, more importantly, get your book and read it, what is something that they can take to their workplace starting first thing tomorrow morning to begin to do their part to address the bias that is in the company they work for or with? Well, one of the things that I would do is I would say that having conversations with other women, women who, sh who there may be some women there who she thinks are particularly uh, unpleasant or not nice or whatever, and she ought to think about, does she hold these women to a different standard than she holds the men that she works with? Because one of the issues is that women hold women to the same stereotypes and biases that men hold. And so is she being fair to this other woman? And a conversation is really the starting point. Information is powerful, but also starting conversations are, are, and that's another thing that women, by the time we're little girls, were discouraged from having difficult conversations. Uh, don't get your dress dirty, don't, don't tear your tights, be a good girl, be quiet, um, don't rock the boat. And so co difficult conversations can be very hard for women in our society. And so starting a conversation, I may not get this right, but you know, we're not, we don't seem to communicate in a way that, you know, we're not working together here, correct? What can we, what can I do to help this situation can totally change the whole dynamic. I would say that the one thing that that woman who's going to work tomorrow ought to do is to identify a male leader, someone who is important in her organization, and to begin a conversation with him about how much he is needed in order to move this needle. That is, we need to find ways to enlist more men in the effort to advance women. And that's going to only happen if those male leaders are approached by a woman that they respect, that they work with, and they're told directly how important they are and what they can do to help. More conversations, more talking. I think that's always going to be the solution. Clearly. It isn't the whole solution, but, but it's, it's got to be start. It's got to yeah. be part of it. The book is called It's Not You, It's the Workplace. Women's Conflict at Work and the Bias that Build It by Andy Kramer and Al Harris. Um, guys, I just really loved this conversation. We could have easily gone for hours talking and had a lot of fun with you. But uh, let people know 
um, not only, of course, they can get the book on Amazon, but let them know how they could, uh, you know, work further with you if they're interested in taking this conversation further. Well, the first thing to do is to go to our website, which is andyandale.com. And the only complicated thing there is I spell Andy, A-N-D-I-E. So it's A-N-D-I-E-A-N-D-A-L.com. And we've got a newsletter. We have a lot of blogs posted. We have a, an assessment for how to, um, uh, how to handle 10 potentially gender biased workplaces. And it's, those are written from the perspective of a woman and the men who take this assessment uh, tend to leave us the most um, comments about how it's opened up their eyes. So I'd urge the men who are listening to give it a try as well. And there's information there about our speaking and, our, and uh, how to get our books. So we would love to hear from all of you and um, I very much appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today, Steve. Andyandal.com. Andy and Al, I really, really appreciate you guys being on the show with us here today. Important topic, and as we just said a few minutes ago, needs more talking about it, not less. Thank you very much. We enjoyed it. Thanks, Steve. That was so much fun. I really appreciated this whole conversation, and I love bringing guests like this to you. I hope that you will join in in the conversation. Remember to hashtag Thriving Entrepreneur when you're posting in your social media so that we can see your comments and join in. We love hearing what you have to say, and I know this is such an important and necessary topic that I really do hope that you will join in the conversation so that all of us in whatever position is best for us can truly live as a thriving entrepreneur. We're going to take our last commercial break and then we'll be right back here on Thriving Entrepreneur. You've heard Kathy and I talk about it. You've seen the workshops. You have watched as others of your friends have become a best-selling author. And now it's your turn. Let me ask you this. What would being a best-selling author do for your business? Over 80% of people surveyed said that they want to write a book, which means that if you're listening, you probably are one of those people. Now is your time because you have a message that needs to be shared. That message is not for you. It's not for your ego. It is because it serves other people. Kathy and I are here to help you share your unique brilliance with the world. All you need to do is go to wehelpyouthrive.com, check us out and find out how you can be a best-selling author today. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. I hope that you will join with me in raising the banner, if you will, for empowerment, especially for people who are unempowered or underempowered in the workplace. It's an important, needed, and necessary thing that each of us has to do our part. We have to each of us. You know, there's an old saying that says, in order for evil to triumph, all it takes is for good people to do nothing. And each of us has the responsibility of doing what we can, of shining the light and being the best us in the space that we're in, to really shine forth where we're planted, if you will. It's important, it's, it's, it's mandatory, really, I would say, because all too often we, like I said earlier, we pass it off. You know, we're like, no, somebody else will get to that. That's somebody else's. Or, well, I don't have that problem in my company, so hopefully other people will get it together as well as we have. But what I want us all to embrace is doing what we can do where we are. And I mean that specifically on this topic, but also 
generically speaking, if you will, in everything that we come in contact with. Um, and what I mean by that is there is a gift inside of you. There is something that you have that only you have. You're the only you that's ever existed, that ever will exist. And if you don't fully be you, the world will do its best. God has a way of filling in the gaps as best as possible, but the perfect plan always is you being the most that you can be. That's where the ultimate result comes from, is when each of us just bees the best us. It makes each of us feel fulfilled. We feel great to live in a space where we are showing up and getting it done as us. It makes the people around us feel good, A, because it's, it's always more fun to be with somebody who's up and positive and on the top of their game, but also because a person who's really being the best version of themselves tends to be focused on the people around them and they're making the people around them also come up to a higher level. You know, there's that old phrase that says, a rising tide raises all ships. It's true. So as each of us levels up ourselves, we in turn level up the community that we're part of, or we have to find a community that's gonna continue leveling with us, right? One of the biggest things in that is you sharing your message with the world, you showing up, you being you, but then you also sharing with the world. You know that Kathy and I love helping people share their messages. We love helping people not just write books, but write bestsellers. You've heard the commercials throughout the course of this show. You've heard us talk about it. But I really do hope that if you haven't yet, you will join us in our free Facebook group, Bestsellers Guild. You can search for Bestsellers Guild in Facebook, or you can just go to Best sellersguild.com and come on in and join us wherever you are on the journey from thinking about writing a book all the way to you've got multiple books we want to come together and celebrate you because you are uniquely brilliant you were created for a purpose and the world needs you we want to celebrate with you as you show up in the world, as you do that thing that only you can do, you make that difference that only you can make. And each of us lives as thriving entrepreneurs. We want that for you. We hope that you are in the midst of living that life right now. And until next time, I really do hope that you will thrive, and that you will have a great week. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. If you want to get your question answered, send an email to questions at wehelpyouthrive.com. We look forward to you joining us again next time. You've heard Kathy and I talk about it. You've seen the workshops. You have watched as others of your friends have become a best-selling author. And now it's your turn. Let me ask you this. What would being a best-selling author do for your business? Over 80% of people surveyed said that they want to write a book, which means that if you're listening, you probably are one of those people. Now is your time because you have a message that needs to be shared. That message is not for you. It's not for your ego. It is because it serves other people. Kathy and I are here to help you share your unique brilliance with the world. All you need to do is go to WeHelp.com 
youthrive.com. Check us out and find out how you can be a best-selling author today. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 